everybody, it's Brian. Thanks for tuning in. If you're ready to buy or sell a home in Pierce, South King, or Thurston County, please check out John Hurlbutt and his team over at Altitude Homes. John's an old friend and someone I know you can trust. He will also donate $500 to Ben's Fund for every closed transaction. I know how hard it is to find a real estate agent who has your best interests in mind. John can be that guy for you and benefit a great cause to boot. Check them out on the web at altitude-re.com slash hb. Again, altitude-re.com slash hb. Or give them a call at 253-222-2626. That's 253-222-2626. Go Hawks! All right, everyone. Welcome to the uh, 26th episode of Real Hawk Talk. It's crazy we're at that number. We got a lot of Seahawks stuff to talk about. Before we did our last show, we were debating if they were going to make any coaching changes. The Seahawks seem to be getting laid into the process, and we were we were worrying like crazy last week. And this week, since our last show, it's been a crazy week of Seahawks news. They fired, made a ton of big moves on the staff. They made a ton of big hirings and. We got the whole crew tonight to break it down. We got Jeff Simmons, me, Brian Nemhauser, Evan Hill, Nathan Ernst. We're all here tonight. We're going to go over everything that's happened over the last week. We're going to go through all our opinions, our takes. But before we get into the Seahawks stuff, we just want to do a quick moment of silence, unfortunately. There was some terrible news that came out last night. One of the Washington State players, unfortunately, had committed suicide. I think it was – how do you pronounce his name? Do you guys know? Tyler Holinsky, I believe. Tyler Holinsky, yeah. It's – just devastating news. Everyone who saw that, imagine it was just a terrible feeling in their stomach. And it was hard stuff to read for such a young kid. And so we just want to take a moment and pay respects to him and his family, anyone who's listening who knew him. Yeah, it's just it's terrible to read anything like that. And before we get into our football stuff, just yeah, anyone who knew him or anyone who had any relationship with a guy like that, it's it's hard stuff to read, and especially for such a young guy. But it's hard to shift the conversation over right now. But I guess we're gonna have to start our show. So yeah, we had our show last week. I don't think I don't know if any of us thought that Cable, Bevel, Chris Richard, all of them are gonna go out in one week, a day after our show. So I don't know where you guys were. I'll, I'll start this. When when Bevel got fired, it was the first thing I saw in the morning. I was pretty jacked up. I hate to say that over someone's job, but just based on all this, how the season went and our relationship with the offensive coordinator, I was pretty pumped. And I was at Costco the, a day later, later in that day. I was just doing some errands, and a fo- alert pops up on my phone that Tom Cable got fired. I don't think I've ever fist-pumped in the middle of Costco before. And I was I was like Evan during one of our shows. I was jacked up. And now all, all the news comes out with the Seahawks blew up their staff. And yesterday it became official where they, they really finalized three of the most important roles on the staff. For you, I assume most of our listeners have seen this, but Brian Schoenheimer is the new offensive coordinator replacing Daryl Bevel. Tom Cable's job, there's no real assistant head coach anymore. It's just a pure offensive line coach, Mike Solari, who used to be with Seattle on Mike Holmgren, and I believe Jim Morris staff. 
And yesterday it came out that Chris Richard and Michael Barrow, the last year's linebacker coach and assistant head coach, were both not. Uh, they're not coming back next year. And the new defensive coordinator is a name we're very familiar with, Ken Norton Jr. Guy used to be with Pete Carroll in Seattle and USC. I don't know if anyone has saw this coming. So there's a million areas we can start. But why don't we start the uh, the offensive coordinator? We've all talked about Daryl Bevel so many times throughout the last few years. We talked about um, him probably every week at our show. So I don't think any of us were too surprised that the team decided to move on. But Brian Schoenheimer, I don't think that's a name any of us or so. I was telling this to Evan before our show. Um, if, if I had to make a name, a list, if I had to sit here and make a list of like 35 to 50 names for offensive coordinators that I would have been targeting for Seattle or I would have expected, I don't think he would have made the list. That doesn't mean it's a bad pick per se. I just didn't see him as a guy on my radar. I thought we had so many other names that we'd mentioned or we had thought about. I didn't see him coming. I know him and John Schneider had a relationship. So we'll start with you, uh, Nathan. What were your thoughts when you saw the Schoenheimer news? How do you feel now? And how do you compare him to maybe what they lost in Daryl Bevel? Yeah, I mean, with Bevel going, I uh, – that wasn't the move that I necessarily wanted to see. Um, I would have been happy if they had let Cable go and then just kind of let Bevel run the show. Um, but uh, obviously that Bevel news came first. Um, and then, you know, the the Schottenheimer, there were the reports of him getting, you know, interviewed and all that. And it seemed like whatever, you know, the, the interesting guys are in the playoffs and stuff. Um, but then they moved on and they, you know, reportedly, and now is official, uh, offered him that job before, as far as we know, before they've interviewed anybody else. Um, and so, you know, I think Schottenheimer has been, his resume has been well talked about at this point. Um, it's not good. Um, <clears throat> and there's a lot of, you know, kind of caveats and excuses to that. But uh, for a guy that isn't, that I didn't hear talked about until he came up he was linked to Seattle. Um, you know, it wasn't like he was, a, it didn't seem like he was a hot candidate. Um, and for a guy that doesn't have a particularly sterling track record, it was weird that they just, you know, rushed out and hire him really fast. So that was the most disappointing thing to me. I mean, we see lots of guys that fail and then come back and then they do better. Um, it's concerning that um, Schottenheimer's never moved up above offensive coordinator. It's one thing to hire a failed head coach. Um, you know, that used to be a coordinator. Those guys were usually good coordinators and they get promoted up and then they get fired and they can still come back and be a good offensive coordinator. But Schottenheimer has failed the two times he's gotten the two times he's gotten this shot. And so uh, it's, it's frustrating that they didn't seem to cast a wider net and look at more options. Um, and it, they just kind of, it seems like they just went with the first guy who told them they were going to run 40 times or whatever. <laughs> And Brian, you and you and Nathan always butt heads, so maybe this is a good time for you to jump in. <laughs> uh, no, Nathan and I are. I mean, um, as per usual, uh, and, you know. In fact, Nathan is is growing hair on his face now, and I'm growing it on my head. So we're <laughs> like different ways. Um. Yeah, look. I, enthusiastic about the Brian Schottenheimer um, news um, when it started to leak out. Uh, I that that uh, I I basically associate with innovation or um, forward thinking in terms of how the offense could could grow and maybe evolve to to match 
attached to some of Russell's strengths and, and things of that nature. And the, it was kind of a backup. It was like a safety school, right? <laughs> like everyone's got to have a safety school. That was if other things didn't work out. And that may have been what exa- exactly what happened. Uh, you know, news has come out that what I had gotten information was leading um, the quarterback coach at, in Philadelphia, John DiFilippo. Um, he's, he may have indicated he's not planning to come to Seattle for the head coaching position in Arizona. He may, he may have better options. And if he was not going to be there, have a much narrower list of possibilities because article earlier this week, it's not just about hiring the OC. They're giving the OC the opportunity to bring in the offensive line coach and, you know, set some of the other um, coaching positions. And those guys get, start getting snagged. We'll talk about a little later. And Nathan wrote a great article today about him. Um, there were absolute rumors of Solari signing elsewhere, whether it was the Cowboys were interested in him. There's a couple of other teams that were interested in bringing him aboard population that this is our this is our things are just going to get worse from here we're not going to get a better solution and so um i'm starting with and i've, I've got a few other thoughts but um you know we have plenty of time to talk about them so we'll, we'll come back to me later all right and evan evan you've been very vocal on twitter about sean Imer, so i'd like yeah. to hear your thoughts as well yeah yeah so i've had kind of a you know typical of my seahawks reactions i have a wide range of and a wide range and progressive range of uh, takes on on Shoddy. I'm, I don't like his full name, so I'm just going to call him Shoddy. Um, you know, obviously, I, I think I, I was pretty firm on the fact that, like, Cable needs to go. He's our number one issue with the offense. You know, if you bring Bevel with him, I'm okay with it. But if, if you, you know, only fire Bevel and, and you st- stick with Cable, then I was going to have a huge problem with that. But, um, you know, obviously – when the, when the news broke, I was pretty upset just because he didn't seem like the the type of coach that signaled adaption and innovation and new philosophies and maybe a shift in how Pete was gonna have his offense run. I you know you really didn't get those feelings, and um, maybe I got too hopeful in the fact that maybe Pete Carroll would shift from his identity. But I guess I was 100% wrong. And, you know, this, this se- I was thinking this, this season did not break Pete Carroll at all. It made him double down on his philosophies. And I, I think Pete's going straight after that run-heavy team. And I think that's the type of team he's going to go for in, in 2018. So um, initial reaction was kind of disappointment. I know Brian tweeted out some images that showed that maybe he didn't have the best of talent throughout all of all of all of his years as an offensive coordinator, but um, let's give, I mean, we're going to give him a shot. We're, we're all going to root like hell. Um, I'm a little concerned about it, but you know, Pete's doubling down. It's who Pete is. So not that surprising in the end. Wow. Those are some really like <laughs> super exciting takes that we all have <laughs> on the new office coordinator. <laughs> let me, let me try to add a little bit more to that conversation. So, I will say that that <laughs> there is a point where I was really trying to debate whether or not the Seahawks would have been better off 
firing Cable and keeping Bevel and the consolidating everything of him or bringing in Schottenheimer. And here's a couple reasons why I think they're better off with the, the, the path that they've taken. So one, Bevel's actually had definitely a more successful track record and, and has a stronger resume as an offensive coordinator than Schottenheimer. I don't think anybody could argue that. And if they could, I'd love to hear it. Bevel also like, that that image I shared out, Evan, it wasn't just about what act Bevel has had an I mean, the guy went from Adrian Peterson to Marshawn Lynch and you know had Percy Harvin and Sidney Rice to Doug Baldwin Golden Tate and Sidney Rice. Like he's had, you know, he had Brett Favre, you know, at a peak point. He had He did have uh, Brett Russell Favre Wilson. the year after uh Shoddy had him though. I mean he did. He did. But, but, but Nathan, I think we can all acknowledge that that could, that absolutely likely had something to do with the offensive coordinator, but it probably had, I would say way more to do with going from, um, what was it? Uh, not Thomas Jones. Who was his running back? No. Yeah. Thomas Jones. Was was Thomas Jones. Thomas, Thomas Jones. Was, Thomas, you know, Jones. Crap on Thomas Jones too much. He was, dude, he was not, he Thomas was a, Jones to Adrian Peterson. Come on, dude. That is not a comparison. That's fine. All I'm saying is Seahawks fans would go nuts if they fired, if they signed like, you know, 29, 28-year-old Thomas Jones. Or I mean, maybe not that old, but you know what I mean. Like Thomas Jones was a solid running back. He was all right. He was a pro bowler with Schottenheimer. But Eric Kotchery and, um, you know, they didn't even have Braylon Edwards that year. They had someone else. Like, they, Going from that to Percy Harvin and Sidney Rice and Bernard Berrien and uh, Adrian Peterson, that also had a lot to do with Brett Favre playing better there. So long, long story short, I think that um, Bevel looks a little bit better because of the talent that he's had to work with. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, this is a guy that we could be getting at at a low point. You know, like, uh, I absolutely believe that perception uh, around the league, like, follows you pretty quickly. You get a reputation. You don't get another chance. Uh, to me, this is a one-year thing. If Schottenheimer can't show results in his first year with with uh, this additional talent, this is absolutely the most talent he's had. There's To me, there's zero doubt, even if they make no changes on offense than Schottenheimer's ever had for any of his teams. And so I'm interested to see what a guy like that does, um, especially given, you know, a lot of pretty strong praise from the quarterbacks that have worked with him over the years. So we'll, we'll see. I'm cautiously optimistic, even though I started off pretty pessimistic. All right. I'm not going to let this Thomas Jones slander stand. 1,300 yards, 1,200 yards, 1,100 yards, 1,300 yards, 1,400 yards. That's a pretty good uh, four point four point three, four point one, three point six. That was eleven hundred yard, uh, and then four point five and four point two. He had thirteen touchdowns and fourteen touchdowns in two thousand eight and two thousand nine. Thomas Jones was a good running back, or at least in a good system. I mean, let's they not crap on Thomas Jones. Yeah, Farb was hurt in two thousand eight with the Jets. I don't know if he, you guys remember. He that. was healthy for ten weeks, and he, he yeah, was, he was playing through like a rotator cuff, I think. Yeah, and then he got hurt. Yeah. Yeah, and, I, still, and, I still agree with Nathan's overall point there. There was a pretty drastic comparison, but I've, I've been trying to talk myself into the Sean Heinrich thing because at first when I saw it, I absolutely hated it. 
And I like Brian. I'd heard the DiFilippo thing from people I talked to and some of the sources, and I don't know what changed. So even the morning they hired Schonheimer, Ian Rapport came out and said that DiFilippo was a guy the Seahawks were targeting. I don't know if you guys remember that. So to go from him, who was a guy I've been hearing great things about, I was pretty excited about to hear Schonheimer. It was kind of a very underwhelming in his stops before. That took me a whole a while to get over, probably a week. If I had to convince, talk myself into it, which I've been trying to have, I guess the idea is he's never really had a great quarterback since he's been an offensive coordinator. You look at who he's had, it's been Mark Sanchez and some of those guys with the Rams, Sam Bradford. Maybe with Russell Wilson, things will get better. Uh, that's might be the most optimistic view, or maybe the talent around him, he'll be better. I know he was good with Drew Brees when he was the quarterback coach in San Diego. Philip Rivers likes him a lot. He was, he was with Andrew Luck last year. I, I had a decent year before his shoulder, whatever happened with his shoulder, I, I guess. That's the best way I can talk myself into it. So is he but, uh, a dual role? Because we haven't, we haven't hired a quarterback's coach, right? We, have, we haven't hired one yet. So is he, is he playing OC, and is he going to be Russell's, Russell's guy? You, has, has anybody thought about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't seen anything, but I, I bet they're going to hire some basically an assistant QB coach. Uh, I think Schottenheimer is being brought in to, to coach Russell. I mean, I think uh, – I, I, I don't know if this has been talked about by the team or not, but, you know, Schottenheimer is supposed to be this high-energy guy, like – um, and, you know, uh, I think it was uh, Austin Davis was saying that, he, you know, when they were together in L.A. that, you know, Schottenheimer really challenged him and, like, you know, worked him hard and all that. So I think Schottenheimer is being come in. And I, the the stuff about accountability, has that been actually – is that just rumors or that they want someone to hold rest? I, I don't know if that's actually been reported, reported, but, you know, all that stuff. Schottenheimer is being brought in to, like, fix Russ or, or take Russ to the next level, I think. Yeah, there's there's definitely been public reports of that, and you know, I've heard a lot of validation of that in general. Fans might not like that concept or think like it's crazy that why they talk about Russell Wilson, the offensive lines, what needs to be fixed, and and other things of that nature. And I think that's fine, but the the people that are in that building that are creating schemes and game plans and executed are coming to that conclusion for some reason. Um, and uh, you know, I've heard the term accountable number of times. That's the exact word that's shown up, you know, in radio interviews with some of the you know, national reporters that, that have sources inside there. And honestly, I think everyone should celebrate that. I think Russell should celebrate that because uh, Pete talked about the fact that he wants to be held accountable. He wants to be coached. And, I think that's true. I think Russell does want to be the best. I think Russell wants to be the best quarterback that's ever played the game. And I don't think Carl Tater Smith is going to be the guy that gets him there. And I don't think Daryl Bevel, as much as Daryl Bevel is a nice guy, Daryl Bevel is not a ball buster. Daryl Bevel is not going to hold a super high bar and force people to meet it. Like he is going to kind of like have a game plan. It's probably going to be a thoughtful game plan. He's going to expect his, his, his players to execute it going to try again um and so i i applaud like a new approach there because guys i mean if we have any hopes of really seeing the team really rebound and, and climb back up do any of us doubt that russell wilson's going to have to be a major part of it and that he's going to probably have to carry an even heavier burden than he's carried in the past i just think that's a foregone conclusion so i, I think that makes sense to me russell's the kind of guy yeah 
Yeah, Russ seems like the kind of guy that would really respond to that too. Like, I don't know if it's just because we see him get down in games and then he like goes, you know, just ballistic. And but I feel like Russ will respond well to somebody challenging him and respond well to somebody trying to. I mean, I don't know anything about locker room dynamics or anything like that. But if Schottenheimer is trying to be, you know, the alpha dog, Russ isn't going to like that, right? Russ, there's a king in every crowd, and Russ thinks it's him. And if somebody else is in there trying to do it, I think that's just going to push Russ to bigger and better things. So, I, you know. Everything I've heard about Schottenheimer, I'd be ecstatic if he was being brought in as a quarterback coach, um, but he's not. He's going to be an offensive coordinator, so like he's got to call plays. He's got to put a playbook together. He's got to you know do all this stuff, and I think it remains to be seen whether he can really do that well. Nathan, you dug in some film the other day on the Jets, right? Yeah, a little, a little. What did you see there? Um, different, you know? I mean – nothing like crazy or interesting or like, Oh, look at the super cool thing they're doing. Um, it, it was pretty straightforward stuff. Um, to be honest, um, it was plays I recognized from Madden, uh, which isn't great probably. <laughs> um, but because I've run some of those plays in Madden, like I knew the reads and I could tell, um, you know, I could understand, I understood the offense and maybe that's just me and my familiar familiarity with, you know, a video game. Um, but I did not understand the Bevel offense, especially towards the end. Like, I, I didn't know always what the plan was. Like, what are you trying to attack here? Where is Russ supposed to go? Like, what is the thought process? I mean, they did a lot of stuff where they would have zone beaters on one side and man beaters on the other side. And, you know, so you do, they would send guys to motions and Russ would do the pre-read. And then he'd just, like, sit on half the field. And I think a lot of times that was because of how they how these plays were built. Um, so, you know, from that perspective, I kind of liked it. Um you know, that offensive line was pretty gnarly and, you know, they they beat guys up and they did some different run stuff. Um, when we talk about Solari, it's the same thing, right? Uh, some similar stuff, but some also some different stuff. And so it was kind of refreshing, um, but it didn't get me especially excited either. Um, and I watched only a little bit of his time with the Rams and that was less, less good. <laughs> but also that team was a disaster, so. I'm waiting for you to talk about how great Zach Stacy was. Zach Stacy had one good year. What happened to him? Don't you take Zach Stacy's one good year away from him? <laughs> He's yeah, wrong. Uh, by yeah. the way, since we're Zach Stacy had no good years. By the way, sorry, I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> he just played well against the Seahawks. Um, so uh, since we're going back and looking at old old timers um one of the people in the chat actually had a good point and i went and just validated Favre through the first 10 games of uh that 2008 season his pass rating was actually 93 fifth in the league and it was 18 tds and 12 interceptions so um that was i think before he got injured and then he ended up finishing up with like <laughs> 22 touchdowns and 22 interceptions so uh it probably was not as great of a disparity as as uh you know we've kind of painted it between when he was with Schottenheimer and when he was with Bevel. I mean he Favre had his Favre had the best year of his career and like Favre had a lot of good years but Favre had the best year of his career there was a disparity there even before Favre got hurt um but yeah it's a little unfair to just look at those season averages and and say that you know he had a terrible year with uh, a shoddy he 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 was playing okay So do we think he's an upgrade on Bevel, or are we still? Are you not sold, Evan? You look like you have some thoughts. TBD. It hasn't. It's yet to. You know, we we don't know yet. Um, 
we got to give him a shot. Like, like, like we've been talking about, he, 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 this is the most talent he's ever had, I think in an offense. So we got to see what he can do. We got to see what he can do. I think this is the best quarterback he's ever had. Best players, the most talent. I, I, let's give him a shot. Let's see what happens. What, what are we hoping to see from him? Is it more like a return to the run? Is it more just utilizing personnel better? Or is it getting Russell going? What's the number one thing, Brian, that you would like to see from his new coach? Um, I'd like to see more variation of approach. Are you guys able to hear me okay? Yeah. Yes. I thought you were going to say run the ball more, so I was just shaking my head <laughs> in anticipation. Uh, I see. Uh, I think um, – talk about how Schottenheimer utilized the screen or in St. Louis and felt like that was something that was missing in Seattle as a change up to parading, especially when they started scuffling. I think that was a really astute point. Like, I think we've, we've talked about that a little bit, but like Bevel's offenses seem to just be like banging their heads against the wall. A lot of times, like we're going to keep trying this and eventually it's going to work. And um, what I've seen since, you know, the eighties is when an offense is struggling, you know, there's a drop play here. There's a screen play there. There's just some, there's some different tactics you can use to try to get an offense unstuck on first down. And it seems like when Russell gets that first, first down in a drive, everything starts to open up. And so, um, you know, I, I've read a bunch about Schottenheimer and, um, I've seen a lot about quick game. I've seen a lot about understanding tendencies of the defense and, and putting teams in high percentage chances to, you know, um, I would love to see some of those elements just added to what Russell already does well. And, and yes, I think finding the, having one person to incorporate the run and mix that with the pass is absolutely a good thing. And, um, I think that a team that is completely ineffectual in the run game and inefficient in the run game uh, is going to have trouble being effective and efficient in the pass game. Um, unless you have someone like Tom Brady. Um, I, I just think that, that there's very few quarterbacks that are capable of overcoming inefficiencies in the run game. All right, let's, let's change it up a little bit. Um, obviously the biggest move of the week was the removal of Tom Cable. That's a move a lot of people have been clamoring for for a long time. He was pretty much the number two in command in the organization from a coaching perspective. And it just seemed like Cable was always going to stick around. And I don't know about you guys. I always had this fear that when Pete left, Cable was just going to be the guy to get promoted in-house. It seemed like this organization loved him. I had a long fear about that, especially when that Jake Laser story came out that Pete was considering retiring. That's not happening anymore. Cable's gone from the organization. This took a lot of us by surprise. I said before, I was pretty jacked up. I hate to say that about someone losing their job, but just the job, we've been talking about this forever. There's just no way he could have kept his job based on what happened in the run game, based on the development of the O-line. So they bring in a guy we, a lot of us know, I don't know how well we know, Mike Solari. He used to coach on Mike Holmgren's staff. He was around for, I think, the year of Jim Mora, and he was he's bounced around the league for a long time. He coached in KC and those great offensive lines. At the high point, he was uh, he was on Harbaugh's staff during those great years in San Francisco, and it got to a low point. He was the Giants' offensive line coach last year, and they might have had a worse offensive line than Seattle. 
and that might be a personnel issue. So I, I don't know if you guys saw on the website or on Twitter, but Nathan did a nice deep dive into Mike Solari today. So we'll start with him. Obviously, I know you want to touch on Tom Cable, so we got to go. With your thoughts on Cable, your thoughts on Solari. There's a, there's a lot to get to here. So Yeah, I mean, I'm still kind of in shock that Cable's actually gone. Uh, but thank God, I mean, I'm not going to feel too bad about like being happy that a guy got fired because he got he was out of work for like two days. So uh, good luck, Oakland. Uh, don't let the door hit you on the way out, Cable. Um, for with Solari, though, I mean, Cable was such a big presence and, and was so involved in everything. Um, and I don't think we should look for Solari to have that kind of presence and be involved that kind of way, right? Like you said, the assistant head coach thing is gone. Solari doesn't have that title. There was no talk about run game coordinator that I've heard or anything like that. Um, so Solari will go back to being Solari will just be a position coach. Um, they, uh, offensive line position coach, I mean, that might be the most important one. Um, but position coaches only have so much influence. They can only do... Um, they can only do so much. And so, you know, you go back and you look at his history and he's been able to be a part of some really good things, but he's also had a ton of talent, both coaching and uh, on the field when he's been part of the things. Um, and he's been a part of some really bad teams. He's been a part of the dark years here in Seattle for this century. And, um, you know, the Giants were good two years ago, but the, the offense wasn't particularly good. And um, obviously it all fell apart this year. So, you know, he's not going to fix everything if it starts to go wrong. If Schottenheimer doesn't work, if the, they don't get the players, Solari is not going to be a miracle worker. Um, but there's lots of evidence that he can be uh, a part of the solution, a part of the solution, a part of um, a really effective offense. Um, he's developed some guys. He's, um, you know, kept guys performing at, at a high level that were already at that level and stuff. So, um I think at this point we can feel pretty good that if Solari, that if the Seahawks put the right players in place, Solari will put them to good use. So there were obviously some rumors that um, some rumors circulating on Twitter that everyone but Dwayne Brown was safe on the offensive line, and that basically this new line coach Solari was going to be given the option to basically you know start from scratch and do whatever he wants. What's your thoughts on that, Nathan? You mean everybody? You mean Brown was the only safe one, right? Correct. Brown's the only. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, you know, Posick shouldn't be in any real jeopardy. I mean, if they want to challenge him or whatever, that's fine. Um, but, and I don't think it makes sense to move on from Brit. Um, I think people's opinion on Brit has swung wildly and the truce has always been, um, except for when he wasn't, since he's been a center, the truce has always been somewhere in between. He was legitimately bad at the tackle and especially as a guard. Um, but I don't think he regressed as much as people said he did this year. I don't think he was as good as people said he was, you know, two years ago. Um, but with, but he, you know, he's come in, he's been a part of, you know, some good offenses. He's played okay. I, I don't think that they should be necessarily looking to move on from him unless they have, again, some big plan for the money that they're going to save there. So uh, it's fine if they want to say everybody, um, you know, it, Brown's the only safe one, but I'd be surprised to see them, really aggressively try to move off of either Brit or Posick. Yeah. I was playing gospel music so loud throughout my apartment <laughs> when Tom Cable's fired. I don't listen to gospel music. I was dancing with my dog in the kitchen, you know, did a little half-naked run throughout the park. Life was good. Life was good. And, you know, when the Solari 
when the Solari uh, news came about, I was a little uh, surprised because I immediately thought of Eric Flowers, you know, the left tackle for the Giants. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe that's not a direct connection that's super fair to, you know, think of Solari with. But um, like you said, he's been a part of some successful regimes. Um, he's been a part of some disappointing regimes. He seems to have kind of like an inconsistent record, but an inconsistent record is a better record than Tom Cable's. So that's right. I will absolutely take this potentially great mediocre offensive line coach over a completely consistently disastrous offensive line coach. So believe it or not, I'm actually most excited about the Solari hire. I really am. I think, uh, I think he's the one to make the biggest impact. The Eric Flowers thing was bad, but in fairness to Solari, Flowers was drafted the year before him, was okay. bad as a rookie, um, and was considered a reach at the time. So, bounces out a little bit. And I heard he actually coached him up a little bit throughout the season. I heard Giants fans got a little more like happy with him throughout the season as he seemed to progress and uh, kind of cut down on the penalties is what I heard. Yeah, and one thing with position coaches and coordinators, a lot of times they get unfairly blamed, like Sorry, for example, I don't think the best offensive line coach in the world could have fixed that New York Giants offensive line. They have no talent. Yeah, maybe like Mike Munchak or the guy in New England or Bill Callahan. Those are some of the best guys. They could have made them a little better and more organized. But and same with Sean Heimer, like and some of the quarterbacks he's working with. I don't, I don't like when too much stock gets put into like what their stats were, what some of their advanced metrics were. There's no talent. I think if you put a bad coach with Tom Brady, I think he'd be pretty good too. Um. I, I don't, so with Solari, I'm not going to, on both ends, I'm not going to put too much stock when he's coaching like a team with absolutely no talent like he did the last couple of years or the last year with the Giants. And when he was in Kansas City earlier in his career, he had like three Hall of Famers on that offensive line. I think it's pretty easy to coach a team like that. So he's the, like Nathan was saying, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. But yeah, it's nice to have a guy who, like, is not going to be like Cable and be like completely against veteran offensive linemen and, try to mold all these young guys and I know they haven't developed defensive linemen in a while or ignore pass protection. Mike Solari coach under Mike Holmgren for a long time who had but maybe like the the best run offense in Seattle Seahawks history maybe not by advanced metrics but just based on pure design pure this is what you're supposed to do here's the timing of the players the responsibility this is it there's no adjustments that's how you run an offense. When Solari was given pro linemen, he was very good with them. I know there's a long way to go to get five pro linemen on this team, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you guys. I don't see a point of like we were saying before, maybe only Dwayne Brown is safe. I don't see a point of that. I see you can't, the roster isn't a point right now where you can create more holes. So I don't see any idea like Justin Britt getting moved or Ethan Posick. We all knew what his weakness was. It was strength. It was run blocking. That was his weakness. I don't think you can blame the guy. He showed a lot of positives as a rookie. He needs to get stronger. So I'm not ready to move on for him or anything like that. And if I'm, but hey, how about this, Jermaine Fetty, uh, The Oakland Raiders need a right tackle. That's the one hole in their offensive line. Trade him. You know, Fetty's interesting. Fetty, like he's not really a zone blocking player. I mean, he does not fit that mold. Uh, and so, if Solari does some different stuff, you could see Fetty perform better. I mean, it, I mean, if you can get something for him, I mean, you should probably explore that at this point. But I wouldn't rule out a jump for a Fetty. Um, and he's a guy that we've already seen some flashes from. And Solari using some, 
you know, different schemes, some more man blocking stuff, you could see him, you know, maximize Effetti a little bit better than Cable did. Good for you, Nathan. Way to uh, defend the indefensible. I think I think Effetti need, needs some people on his his court, uh, and I agree. Like I'm, I'm only half joking. So. To, to, to add to what you're saying, and I think this is what you're getting at is, so zone blocking, a lot of it is around coordination and around athleticism and around Quick feet. Um, the, the, yeah, the, the line moving in unison and then often getting to the next level um, in terms of agility. That, like, there's a lot of uh, emphasis on that. That's why a lot of the lines you've seen back when it really came about in uh, the Denver Broncos days with Alex Gibbs, they were not heavy, large men. They were very light, but they were very athletic, and they were very coordinated in how they uh, attack defenses. Well, Afedi is not that. <laughs> this is not what he is. He is a large human, powerful man, and um, his strength is probably more in a power run offense, right, where – he's getting his hands on an individual and moving them as opposed to trying to cut block them or lines. And, you know, some evidence I have of that is when I've seen flashes from a Fetty, especially in the run game, he's pretty good at things like reach blocks and seals um, getting to the outside and, and creating an edge for the running back. Those are all like, those are more about, um, you know, uh, physically overpower somebody um, as opposed to like really quick, quick agility, you know, types of maneuvers. So you're right. I still don't think a Fetty is necessarily ever going to, you know, he doesn't strike me as the most consistent performer at any point in his career. But, but um, I think he definitely has more upside than the most people give him credit for. The guy, I don't know if you guys read the article that, that uh, got shared around that Mike Sando wrote when um, he was the Seahawks blog, uh, like, beat reporter for the ESPN um, section. And he wrote about Mike Holmgren hiring Solari and how they thought it was one of the biggest hires that they've made on their coaching staff and done in Kansas city and the types of players they developed there and how important that was and how um, good of a teacher they feel like Solari was. Um, so, you know, and this was a guy that Pete Carroll wanted to keep on staff um, when he inherited you know, Jim Mora's staff and uh, Solari chose to, to take the, the job elsewhere. And the reason that Pete Carroll wasn't offering the offensive line coach, because he had Alex Gibbs. People forget that. Alex Gibbs is, you know, arguably the best line coach ever, or one of the best line coaches ever. Um, and Alex Gibbs retired before the, before training camp ended that year. So uh, Carol was scrambling, you know, right out of the gates. Um, and if, if that had happened earlier, Solari might've been the offensive line coach. We might've never had Tom Cable real possibility. So if you want to blame somebody, blame Alex Gibbs. Does anyone want to say their goodbye to Tom Cable on here? Bye Tom. See you later. There's no celebration music going on. Too many rude, awful, despicable, horrible, repulsive, demonic things would come out of my mouth if I were to say a proper goodbye to Tom Cable. So have fun in Oakland, Oakland Raiders fans. I saw you guys trying to convince yourselves and talk yourself into the Tom Cable hire. Have fun with that. Your offensive line is going to turn to shit. Good luck. <laughs> Brian, what about you? you you've been the one uh, somewhat Cable defender. 
yeah, I, I, uh, my tune hasn't changed. I, I'm really appreciative of what Tom Cable brought to the Seahawks. Um, I think of the first Super Bowl this city's ever won. And um, I think there's a lot of selective memories um, in, in what he did. And that's okay. I, I get it. Um, I also agree that he has been a key part of what kept this team from winning more. Um, and so absolutely wish him luck. Um, elsewhere, not here. Let's uh, let's roll with the new guy and, and see if we, you know, just addition by subtraction is really what we're going to get here. Yeah, that's kind of cool that Cable's back with Marshawn Lynch, but it's kind of weird. Other than that, that like he got he went back to Oakland where they fired him as head coach, and there was all this ugly stuff between him and Al Davis. The way it ended, that John Gruden must have liked him a lot because that happened real fast. Well, Cable's, I mean, Cable's really respected across the league. I mean, and people can argue about why that is and whether that's deserved or not. We'll see. I, I will say, like, I am waiting. I'm absolutely waiting. I don't think we'll have to wait very long for the moment where Seahawks Twitter starts saying, gosh, like, look how good Daryl Bevel is or look how good the Oakland line is playing in their run game. Why didn't, why didn't we get that from Tom Cable? Like we've seen that time and again, like they hated J.R. Sweezy. He's the worst lineman ever. And then all of a sudden he plays good. And, you know, I wish we still had him. Or James Carpenter's the worst offensive lineman. Oh, I wish we still had him. Like on and on and on. And look, I think we're going to see that again, most likely. Um, that there'll be some <laughs> some group that comes up and, and, and wishes that we're back. I will be really clear right now that there is no situation where I thought it was the right decision to bring all of those guys back. Um, this team absolutely, even if they get worse because of it, that's how clearly I think that the change needed to be made. You know, it, it's like having Jay Cutler as your quarterback. You are never going to win a Super Bowl with Jay Cutler as your quarterback. You might win eight games or nine games. That's fine. I don't, I'm not interested in that. We're not just trying to like kind of be good enough to get people to pay attention so we can keep selling seats. Like, I want a team that has a, a, a trajectory that plots towards the ultimate title. And there with this group, not at all. I think that there was infighting even within the coaching staff. I think that there was lack of communication and stale communication with the, with the, the players. I think that they had plateaued and in fact, you'd started diving. So um, one of those people that says, wow, that was a real big mistake to let those guys go. Totally the right decision, no matter what happens from here on out. Brian, your big fear with the cable, everyone always wanting to move on, is that they wouldn't be able to find a coach that's comparable or better. Do you feel comfortable with Solari as that choice, or are you still have that fear at all? I definitely still have that fear. Uh, you know, I think Solari, Solari is – He's not a home run. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, they could have done a lot worse. So I'm, I'm, I'm comforted by the fact that they got someone who has a lot of history uh, teaching offensive line and a lot of different types of schemes with different types of players. I hold Cable in higher regard than pretty much anybody in Seahawks Twitter. So that's, you know, that that's part of the calculus here. Um, uh, there will be some things that that you know, we may miss um, because of it. And 
the biggest thing, more than any of the coaching aspects, the thing that I'm most happy about Caleb being gone is there's been a lot of clarity about the fact that he had a lot of impact on personnel decisions along that offensive line. That was always the thing that felt really true. Confirmation of that. We've heard that come out as part of this change. And look, I mean, offensive line drafts and free agency decisions are the number one reason, the absolute number one reason this team Super Bowl. Were you all surprised that any of you guys, like no one really came out on Twitter or like any of the players came out to defend Bevel at all? I saw some stuff on cable, but I thought I might see something. But I, that, were you surprised by that at all? Well, there was some stuff that came out right after Bevel got fired that, well, there the were reports that the players were saying that he got scapegoated, right? Oh, I didn't see that. What, what was the, uh, you guys hear that too? Did I imagine that? I personally did not, but. Maybe I missed it. <laughs> Maybe I imagined it. Yeah, I mean, Doug said his piece before Bevel got fired. Um, but no, I, I don't think so. I, th- I think, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think, I, I know what Doug said before Bevel got fired and all. I'm saying it's not scheme and an execu- it's an execution, and I think that's what you want but Doug to say. But, I mean, it, it, was, it was scheme, and I, I don't think – I don't know. <laughs> I don't think uh, when push comes to shove, I mean, I think everybody knew. Yeah, it got to the point last year where they didn't really have an offense at all. And if, if Russell Wilson's fourth quarter heroics, and maybe it was the convoluted message or the coaching layers or just the lack of execution on the O line and what Nathan was saying about design, just they were just Russell Wilson's just making things happen. I know he was part of the early problems too, but. Got to the point last year where they didn't really have an It's pretty amazing. They almost won 10 games, even 11 games with kicking mistakes based on how weird their offense was. Well, I mean, are you guys aware, are you guys aware of any other situation where there was split responsibility on run pass and, and, and coordination? You know, I've never heard of that before. And I've, I've heard some whispers that, didn't even receive the running plays until the players did midweek. Like it's a weird stuff, right? Like where just was set up in a weird way. I think so Pete Carroll could bring Tom Cable aboard because he thought it was so important to have uh, a guy like, and he gave him some responsibilities that I think were just awkward. And, And look, I am so looking forward to, doesn't like overutilize wide receiver screens, you know, to Doug Baldwin or, you know, that, that maybe Ed zone has some semblance of a plan that, that, you know, isn't completely brain dead. Like let's have Warren Sharp on it next year. So hopefully he's like, not just wondering, like, do you guys understand what Daryl Bevel's doing in the red zone? Cause I don't get it at all. Like he's making really weird decisions. Like, to, to Nathan's point, some logic and flow to what they're doing. And, and maybe that's giving Braun Scheidenheimer too much credit, but God, like, you know, figuring, watching the Seahawks and some of the weird and somewhat predictable and frustrating concepts that they just kept rolling out over and over again. So, and you know, yeah, like these complaints about these coaches aren't new. Like, 
it, it was harder to make them when the team was going to Super Bowls and they were re- really not really good offenses. But, you know, uh, we've heard reports, we've heard people talk about Bevel's simple offense. And we've heard, you know, people have been complaining about the offensive line. I know that, you know, they had a top rushing attack and all that, but like people were complaining about the offensive line even back in 2012 and 2013 and 2014. So, you know, it, it, it kind of seems like it's a recency bias with the team not being good or as good now, but it really isn't. And these problems have been there for a long time. And so it's, it's, you know, like you're saying, Brian, like this weird split brain thing with the run game and the pass game, San Francisco, doesn't have an offensive coordinator that I can tell. I was looking at their coaching staff, and from what I could tell, they didn't have an offensive coordinator. They have Kyle Shanahan, and they have a run game coordinator. But I'm not sure if their website is reflecting that right. That's the only time I've. That's the only other time that I've seen anything remotely like that. Um, and so just the whole shakeup and just doing things differently and new voices and fresh voices, and it sounds like maybe a little bit more of a some assertive voices will be good to have. Yeah, it's- agreed. Speaking of uh, Kyle Shanahan, so I want to switch this conversation a bit. And when I first saw the Ken Norton news, for those who don't know, Ken Norton, the former Seahawks linebacker, his coach, is the new defensive coordinator in Seattle. I, I think everyone pretty much is, was pretty caught off guard by this. He was a guy that Pete Carroll had multiple opportunities to promote and never did. Norton got an opportunity in Oakland with Jack Del Rio the last two years to be the defensive coordinator. and it might have been a personnel issue. It might have been a they – they're not a good defense from a personnel perspective outside of Khalil Mack. I don't think anyone on their defense, maybe Bruce Irvin, would start in Seattle right now. And But, man, they were bad. They were 32nd, I believe, in DVOA. And Chris Richard, there's always mixed feelings on him. He had some great games. He had some lackadaisical game plans. He never seemed to really relish in that role, but he was a guy who's been Pete for a long time. So I don't think – I didn't know at first if he'd be let go, but it seemed like – so back when I was saying with Kyle Shanahan, my first thought, once I started, like, kind of understanding, when I looked at these individual moves, I kind of hated them all at first. I liked Solari, but my view in like so when Kyle Shanahan's the head coach and he calls the plays, it really doesn't matter who the offense coordinator is. In fact, they don't even have one. It's the same thing with some of the other coaches. McVay, like, do we know who their offensive coordinator is? So all this crazy talk about Ken Norton Jr., if Pete Carroll is the de facto defensive coordinator, does it matter that Norton's the defensive coordinator on paper? Mm-hmm. Or am I off base? Oh, man. I will tell you, when I saw the Ken Norton news, news came out, uh, I had a very long expletive with a U repeated along the screen, um, ending with a K. Like, I, I, think, I think he is a... Really, 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 really limited defensive coordinator. Um, and I think he's a great motivator. I think he's a great communicator. I think he's a great soldier and lieutenant for Pete Carroll. Upward mobility, you know, to become a future coach. And I think in a situation where you've got someone like Pete Carroll, your head coach, the likely um, – area that you're going to have a succession plan is going to be from the defensive minded side of the field. We've seen that with Gus Bradley. We've seen that with Dan Quinn. Um, that's where they're learning something that's kind of fundamental and, and maybe difference making in, in, in how the, the team runs. Look, uh, you know, 
part of it's also just I've had so many conversations with fans who are like, hey, what about Ken Norton? And they were saying this like back when they initially hired Chris Richard. He's a very dynamic personality, and it's easy to kind of be like, yeah, he's going to get in there and like get guys excited. But the great defensive coordinators are not just motivators. They are like amazing tacticians, and they're able to understand an offense. When you're facing Tom Brady – and the multiple aspects that that offense, you know, puts in front of you, and Quinn breaking down all the possible ways to to stop that. And do um, you, Dan Quinn? That's where you go yeah. to stop yeah. Tom Brady. Yeah, it's like a twenty-some point lead. That's what you want of Dan Quinn. Are you ever? You, I'm just saying. You could, Happened twice. I mean, Dan, yeah, fourth quarter. Fourth quarter. <laughs> But Brian, Dan based on what you're saying, who was coordinator when uh, Seahawks gave up ten points to the Patriots in the fourth quarter, lost Super Bowl? Who was that? Yep. And who was the coordinator that held the Patriots to three points and had a twenty-eight to three lead before the offense started screwing things up for? Should Atlanta? we pat him on the back? Do you think that makes Dan Quinn feel good? He's one of the best defensive <laughs> coordinators in the NFL, and I don't think that I don't think that's even a question. Brian, and by what you're saying before. That's kind of where I'm wondering, is Pete going to be the defensive coordinator? Yeah, so I mean, I think that's where we end up. And I think that that's, there, are worse, there are worse places that you end up. But um, uh, it feels like a missed opportunity, like to, to not bring someone in that's really, truly value add and can grow. Um, I just don't see much of a ceiling. I, I see a pretty low ceiling for Ken Norton. So here Bradley as a name, that was a pretty big um, in terms of potential value adding to the team. Evan, what do you what do you think of the Norton hire? Yeah, he just seems like a cheerleader. I, I kind of like a glorified cheerleader. Um, obviously, he's a great motivator and he and he's you know hyper and he gets people excited and all that stuff. But I have the same thoughts as you, Jeff. This is Pete Carroll's defense. Ken Norton, I do not think is going to play a like a strong uh, directional role. I, I think he's going to be there to get guys excited. Um, to be frank, I know our defense had issues in 2017, but I would have been okay if they had kept Chris Richard. And, you know, in, in light of this Ken Norton hiring, I, I know Chris Richard has it, his big thing was like, Oh, he'll blitz more. And, you know, he's had issues with that and that type of stuff. But they had a lot of injuries on defense this past year, and I know they're getting older. I just, I, I, I almost wish they had kept Chris Richard. I, I really do. I, 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 his time was so. I know, I know he didn't have much talent in Oakland, but he was so bad in Oakland. So, so bad. It was. That's. I, I, you have to consider that. So, I, I think I would have preferred to keep Chris Richard, but we'll see how it shakes out, and we'll see who like the true leader of this defense is. Hunches. Yeah. Evan, how would you would you feel differently if you knew that there were actually issues and um, philosophical issues that were cropping up between Richard and Pete Carroll? Oh, I'd feel completely differently. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah that, I, that'd be. Huge. I think I think that's part of what's been going on, reading between the lines, from what I know. I mean. Yeah, that's interesting. Then there needs to be a, obviously a consistent messaging and philosophy between the, those two positions. So if, that, if if you know if 
if reading between the lines on that makes sense, then I, then the then I think the move makes a lot more sense. Yeah, if, if Norton's going to be asked to do what Dan Quinn did or do what Gus Bradley or Chris Rashard did, we're, we're in trouble because I don't think he's suited for that role. I don't think that's his skill set. I think that was obvious in Oakland. I think it's obvious that Pete's passed on him a bunch of times. If Pete is in that Kyle Shanahan role, I, I'm I'm okay with that. I can sign off on that. Because when Kyle Shanahan's calling the game, no one's worrying about who their offensive coordinator is or when Andy Reid does it or some of the Sean McVay did it. I don't know if we can name their offensive coordinator and Mike Shanahan, same kind of thing. Gary Kubiak, that's how they ran their system. When we with Gary Kubiak, when was there, he got fired after one year. Martin's going to be asked to do that. Oh, that's, this is a bad hire if that's the case. If he's just a, a communication down to Pete, I can live with that. It's the only way this makes sense. And, Nathan, what do you see with desire? Yeah, I mean, I mean I'll just say, like, if you gave me the choice between Dan Quinn and Ken Norton, I'm taking Dan Quinn. But that that wasn't the choice, right? I mean, Dan Quinn's not available, I don't think. Uh, so um, I, I, I might be, I think I'm probably the most optimistic of the bunch. I, I don't know why, but the, the Norton hire made all of this kind of click into place for me. Um, I think a lot of people kind of clicked into place and, and there was a lot of talk about it on Twitter that this was really Pete just like, forget doubling down, like he's quadrupling down. He fired both coordinators, both assistant head coaches and brought in guys that um, are intense, are motivators, are probably more suited to position coaching um, and, you know, are probably um, kind of yes men, right? And so, and and guys that he's comfortable with. And so this is all about Pete making sure that Pete gets what Pete wants. And I'm concerned about that on the offensive side of the ball because <laughs> there's no Pete there, <laughs> you know, I mean, but on the defensive side of the ball, if, you know, I mean, if Corton's gonna, uh, Norton's going to come in and he's going to fire these guys up. Um, and I, I think that we're probably being a little unfair just talking about, you know, his energy and stuff. I think that you can see a, a breakdown in fundamentals when Norton and Quinn left um you know those fourth quarter collapses at the start of 2015 after those guys left um i think you've seen um not a lot and and their run game their run defense was good last year um but i think that you've seen more assignment gaffes and mistakes especially this year um you also saw slow starts and stuff creep up this year um and so if norton's a guy that can not only come in and get these guys fired up and get their attention and um, you know, I think that you've seen the players kind of uh, fight a little bit more, get a, be a little bit more vocal, right? You've seen them battle with coaches. Um, if Norton can come in and get a lot of that under, under control and Pete can be the mastermind, I think that's a, that's a very workable um, dynamic. And it's probably not the best, right? When you talk about, like, objectively, like, it, it's not Dan Quinn, it's not – Wade Phillips or, you know, whoever you think would be the best fit for this team. Um, but I think he can fit in a role and work and help Pete get this defense the way he wants it. And I have a lot of co uh, confidence in how Pete wants to run a defense. And I think Nathan hits on a really good point, because if you look at these two coordinator hirings individually, probably just if you take the big picture out of it, it's hard, it's hard to like either move. But when you look at the big picture, it all does come together once you see who the O-line coach is. Who the hirings? Yeah, I think I think that's Pete saying this is my. There's two years left on his contract. We got two years to get this thing right. I want to do it my way. I'm not 
I'm not changing how I think. I've been successful. He sees Jacksonville beating Pittsburgh, and he sees Minnesota, who's been able to throw the ball a little better. But, yeah, this is Pete going all in on Pete, not going maybe a, kind of the change that maybe we thought. What I'm actually most opt- optimistic about, you know, for for <laughs> for all the philosophical debates we can have uh, here, and I actually really enjoy them, um, despite the fact that I give Nathan crap about it. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, Pete's got a formula that has worked through multiple generations of the NFL, and we've seen it work not that long ago here. So. Um, I'm okay with Pete like saying, I've got the formula. I believe in this. I think we've seen that work time and again. You know, I can quibble about at the edges here. I, I would have really liked them. I think what makes the most sense on the defensive side is when they have someone who's a defensive line specialist um, as a coordinator, a secondary coach by nature and is excellent at building secondary. And when he has – uh, a def- that's one of the things I really thought worked well with Dan Quinn is Dan Quinn was able to identify guys like Michael Bennett and he was part of bringing in Cliff Averill and he was part of drafting Jay Howard. And like, there's a lot of things where there's a complimentary aspect that I don't think we've seen come up in other places. So I think they've got a decent defensive line coach. If I remember right, I want to say Clint hurt or hurt, hurt, right? Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, um, but, you know, Norton is a, is a linebacker coach. Um, I don't think, you know, that's as, as much a key aspect of defining the defense, but he did have to understand defenses pretty well. He did have to read them. And from what I understand, one of the things that people don't know is that he wasn't really allowed to run the defense um, the way he wanted to in Oakland. Jack Del Rio had a very heavy hand in how that defense ran and, uh, I think that was oil and water. I just don't think it was a good setup. Um, plus, I don't think they had particularly great um, talent. So, you know, yeah, I could talk myself into it. It's just uh, I, I wish they would have. I wish they would have gotten someone that that had more upside in that position. So now that we're going to start looking into like personnel and player moves. We know where the coaches are now. We kind of understand what they do and what they succeed. What's the one area of the team you really want to see them try and strengthen this offseason? Because there's a lot of well, a lot of different areas we can go here. I know some of us aren't big believers in the running game or whether it's maybe getting better on the defensive line or getting younger. So we'll start with uh, you, Brian. Where do you really want to see this team attack in the offseason now that we kind of know who's going to be the guys making this team? Um. Uh-huh. Tough, uh, you know. I think I I've started to, to compile stats on on overall trends for the team, and uh, or I've been doing that since the season ended. And I was given a lot of shit by a lot of people uh, last year when I wrote my five part series. I titled it "Identity Crisis." Came out after not that far after the Seth Wickersham article. A lot of people are like, ah, this is overblown. This is like, it's not a crisis. What are you talking about? I'm like Pete's philosophy and he talks, it's, it's all about the ball. It's a turnover thing. He talks about having a balanced offense, which is a really, it's about efficiency, both in the run and in the pass. You know, you look at a lot of these 
these it's special teams, it's a three part, you know, like a, a, a holistic team down and everything pretty much is still pointing down after last season. The one place where it started ticking back up, drop off in explosive pass plays. And I think I attribute a lot of that to the addition of Shaq Griffin. I think that was like, they've got a cornerstone there, like that they can start building on Not for the whole franchise, but a thing that's right. And so, um, you know, for this team to be an effective, what they once were, I think that it's actually going to take something more on the defensive side. I would like to see them really find um, some way. I don't care if it's in the secondary or, or um, on the defensive line, kick some ass and be a cornerstone. Um, you know, that would be, I think the biggest addition they could make in my mind, imagine a situation where Chris Carson comes back and is an effective running back that Tyler Lockett has a bounce back year and they've already got Doug Baldwin, um, you know, that Russell Wilson keeps going and that the offensive line gels a little bit more. So I think for me, I'd like to see the defense, you know, have more of that dominant um, stature that it once was. And I think defensive line is probably the best place to do it. What about you guys? How about you, Evan? Yeah, no, um, Brian and I agree on this. I think, um, the number one area I'd like to see them really nail this off season. And it's not the most common fan, you know, approach, but it's, it's cornerback for me, or, or it may be defensive back in general. We, uh, if Pete with, with where we know Pete's going and the path he wants to go down and, you know, him with him doubling down and tripling down on his philosophies, we have to see a more competitive, hungrier, younger defense. This defense is getting older. We are at, you know, the turning of an era here. We need another cornerstone besides Shaq Griffin. We need two young corners. We need a shit-talking Jalen Ramsey. That's who we need. I want a competitive edge at that position again. I want somebody that will fear us. Like Richard Sherman, young in his career. If, if you, you know, if, if you showed up against Richard Sherman, you know, he was going to shit talk you on Twitter the rest of the day. I want that again. I want explosive tweets from a cornerback. No, but those are really fun. But, um, I, I want that competitive, nasty, hungry edge from, from, a from a secondary again, obviously, you know, I think we've got Earl Thomas staying and he's great. And Shaq Griffin is awesome. And Justin Coleman is great. And, and I think he should be a long-term keeper. Um, but maybe, maybe it's a strong safety. Maybe it's another corner. Um, I'd love to see them nail that. I'd love to see that position group be dominant again and, re- and really be feared on game day. A quick aside before I want to hear, you know, uh, the other folks answer that question, but I don't know if you guys saw Cam Chancellor's, he had a bunch of tweets in response to a Q and a, one of them was like, if you had to play somewhere, where would you want to go? And he's like, I'd want to go somewhere where they haven't won a ring yet. And like the clear implication of that to me, I don't know how, if you guys saw that or what your interpretation was. It's like, he gets it. Like the hunger hasn't been there at the same level. It's different when you haven't won it yet. And, and uh, I think you're spot on Nathan, like having that hunger again, I think that's a big part of how you start climbing on the way back up. How about you, Nathan? How do you feel on this? Uh, I mean, I think the obvious one is running back, right? I mean, super important position. They should probably take one first round. You look at all the teams in the playoffs right now, you know, Latavius Murray, first round running back, Deion Lewis, first round running back, Jay Ajayi, first round running back, 
but if I can't get a running back, um, I mean, defense is obviously, uh, I'm not going to say to any defender, especially if, if they can pass rush. Um, I, I definitely wouldn't say no to anyone that can come in and, and hit. And if they can get some of that intensity back on defense, um, that'd be cool. Uh, I, I don't think, one of the things I don't think is being talked about a lot, and it's maybe really, um, and, and running back is part of this, um, but where they're they're getting a little thin is just weapons on offense. You know, if you're looking at losing Jimmy Graham and you're looking looking at losing Paul Richardson, you've got Doug, and that's the only established weapon that you have on offense. Um, Darbo. Yeah. Hey, I mean, and you know, you don't know what Darbo's <laughs> going to turn into. Uh, McAvoy can only go up. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> there's. Uh, but no, I mean, really, like, I mean, so Darbo. Uh, Tanner McAvoy, uh, Lockett, um, you know, David Chris Moore, Carson, David Moore, uh, Mike Davis, JD McKissick. Like, uh, if you want to get a pass catching running back and if you want to, um, you know, hedge against Carson's injury and you want to go get a, you know, a big time wide receiver or, you know, in the draft or whatever, I mean, this team's getting light on weapons. And if you want to improve Russ, if you want to make Russ, a, you know, get back to 2015 and make him as good as he can be and, you want to hold them accountable. Well, you got to give them places to go with the ball and you got to, and uh, they're at danger of really having a pretty talent poor offense. So um, just skill possessions in general is going to need to be addressed. Yeah. I know, I know David, Jeff, I, hold on. I, I, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think what you've heard is that, that, that uh, Nathan wants to bring Thomas Jones into the Seahawks. So well, well, we today, have a brother. We have a running back coach. <laughs> Yeah, Julius Jones. That didn't work out so well. Uh, for yeah. cousins, I think. I don't think they were brothers, but no. I thought they were related. Yeah, I think they were cousins. I don't know. Whatever. Bring Thomas Jones back. Make Thomas. Um, Jones yeah. Great. So, don't know what Nathan was saying. I don't know if you guys saw Davis Sue. He was tweeting that he's under the impression that the Seahawks are going to go heavy on wide receiver and free agency. Do you guys see that happening? Or oh, God help us. That would be. So I, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, with absolute 100% certainty, it would be an, a tragic decision, a tragic decision to allocate your money towards the wide receiver position in free agency. I'll pass on all of them for the for the cost they for the cost they'll be demanding. I don't want a single one. Well, one thing to consider on that though, I, I'm kind of with you. I don't like the idea I'm, of spending big on you know a wide receiver free agency. It worked okay with Sidney Rice. I mean, he had injuries, but. Um, I do like the idea of, you know, someone growing with Russ and all that, but this is a really deep free agent class for wide receiver. You know, are there going to be a couple bargain basement guys? Like one guy that I've kind of liked, and I mean, he had a crappy year and all that, but like Terrell Pryor is going to be next to free. Right. And, you know, is he a guy that you can look at and can you kind of let some of these other guys go and get paid big money and then find out who's left. And there's probably going to be a couple talented guys still there. So um, I don't want to see them like make a big splash necessarily, but if they want to do their bargain, you know, bargain bin shopping at wide receiver this year, I think that it's it's probably a good year for it. Yeah, That's I know fair. Alan Robinson was a name was mentioned. So to get him, you got what do you have to pay like fifteen million a year? I think you're hoping for an injury discount, but I don't know. Yeah, with all the teams that have cap room, and he's probably the top guy on a lot of lists. Yeah. That's, uh, we'll see how good Pete is at recruiting I'll now. I, I'm going to list some names here uh, just so we, we, you know, let's get a, a thumbs up, thumbs down, or at least a yay, nay from you guys. Mm -hmm. uh, so Terrell Pryor, uh, we already talked about. 
Um, Sammy Watkins, 24 years old. Thumbs Hell down no. Jeff. Hell He's no. a guy who needs the ball to be happy regularly. I covered him in Buffalo. He would really struggle in this offense, the way they spread the ball around. I, I, I see it being a terrible fit. I feel like Doug Baldwin like, would knock heads or something. <laughs> so, yeah, I kind of liked what I saw from Watkins this year in L.A. That guy was open a lot deep downfield. Oh, he's a good uh, player. But I can't imagine he's going to be affordable. Years old. I, thumbs down. Thumbs down. Taylor Gabriel, 26 years old. Thumbs down. Oh, thumbs up from Nathan. Say more. And I got, I got like a. I don't know what to do with that from. from uh, <laughs> I I don't know why I think this, but Taylor Gabriel is fairly athletic, right? Can you do some stuff with him? He's he's fast. very fast. He's probably going to be cheap. Um, I can see him working in this offense. I mean, you know, as again talking bargain bid, bargain bid and stuff like that. Yeah, I'm with you, uh, Nathan. I think that's a guy that if you can get him at mid or low level, I would be interested. You know, the, the guys that really scare me when we're talking about like 12 or 14, 10 million, like I, ugh, like let's not get, do another Sydney signing. Um, uh, so Kamar Aiken is actually a guy that I know that they've liked in the past. He's 28 years old. Thumbs yeah, up yeah. from Nathan. Get, and I this see. is this is what I'm about. Go get these professional receivers who are going to cost you just a couple million dollars, but that know where to be and, and know how to catch a ball and all that stuff. You know what Kamar Aiken is though? He's middle tier money. He's middle tier money. Well, don't don't pay him middle tier money. I think that's you got to get these guys cheap. He had a bad year too. You can probably get him for nothing. Really? I feel. I'd like... rather play David Moore in that role, and I just would no, rather. But like, on young Ross, I'd rather I'd rather bet on young guys. I, I feel like I, the talent gap might not be that significant. I want David Moore on the roster. I want Amara Darbo on the roster. I don't want to depend on Amara Darbo. I don't want to depend on David Moore. So you know, if we're talking about bringing in a Taylor Gabriel or a Kamar Aiken, or you know, if Marquise Lee is the one that loses the money lottery this year, and you bring in him, or, or you know, Brian's got a whole list. Like, bring those guys in and make those young guys. I want the young guys too. I want them to draft guys, but like, make those guys earn it. Don't just like. Don't just go in and be like, okay, Amara Darbo is our third receiver now. Like, that's a disaster. <laughs> I think that's fair. What about Jerron Brown, 28, Arizona? Doesn't he have, like, a sickle cell issue or something? No, that's, that's, that's John. John Brown. This is Jerron Brown. This, is, this, this guy's, you know, the tall one. Got it. Is he tall? Yeah, yeah he's, like, he's definitely. Or I guess that maybe that's John he's, Brown. Oh, he's a that's confusing in Arizona. Two, two Jay Browns. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there, there's some interesting names on here. Like, Jarvis Landry is one of my favorite receivers in the game. Oh. You know, I, he's going to cost a ton of money. There's no way he's coming here. No. Um, <laughs> no. John Brown from Arizona actually as well is on the list. He does have some of those injury issues. But, man, he he's what I thought Tyler Lockett could be. But he's kind of fallen off since then. There are some pretty interesting names. I'll, I'll – I'll grant you that. I just, what's been our, what's been our history with signing wide receivers or bringing in wide receivers other than through the draft? I don't think it's been particularly very good. Oh, I have an interesting name. I'm just looking at the free agency list. What about Dante Moncrief? That's an interesting guy. 
He played with Sean Heimer and Indy. He knows him well. Oh yeah. I, I take a shot. He's twenty-four him. years old. He's a big twenty-four dude. years old. I mean, if 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 you're talking about signing Preach for eight to ten million, I mean, what is I don't know what Moncrief is going to get, but if Moncrief was, you know, more on that five or six million, I mean, that might be money money better spent. I mean, similar. Moncrief can't. I don't think Moncrief can catch half as well as Preach can, but. If you I'm want to pay him half as much. You can get him for like three or four. I think I'd prefer that over P. Rich on the higher end. What do you think Marquise Lee's going to cost? Uh, the guy drops way too many passes. I don't it's like him. Too. I've heard him linked in Seattle a couple times. Maybe it's the USC thing. Uh, I would be terrified to pay him in cold weather. <laughs> yeah, I'd... <laughs> Allen Robinson's one thing, like he he tore his ACL and you can come back for that. But like Sammy Watkins had just a ton of injuries in Buffalo. Lee's had a ton of injuries in Jacksonville. Uh, don't pay those guys. Yeah, I uh, I just in general, I'm really struggling with the idea of spending free agent dollars on wide receivers. Like uh I, I would rather them figure out how to I don't know. I have to. I haven't had a chance to really look at all the free agents in the different positions. It's not a strong free agent year, and wide receiver is absolutely no, one right. of the strongest free agent positions. So I get it on that front, but uh, I just feel like we're going to regret those decisions. I'm surprised none of you guys have said this, but to me, if there's one area I'd like to spend on, it's offensive line still. We were saving that for you, Jeff. Yeah, if Pete's going to double back on his philosophy. You can't be this big, powerful, bully-type team with pushovers on the offensive line. The offensive line sets the tone for so much of what you do on offense. You can't just have these guys try to – no matter how much you invest in the defense and how much you want to be this philosophical style, if you're just – even when Seattle didn't have a great offensive line, at least they can physically attack you in the run game with Sweezy and with Carpenter they were, and even Breno. At least they had an identity and a strength, and Seattle could get a lot better at guard. Don't spend money on Luke Jokel, please. You know who they can spend money on at left guard, though? Is pray for Andrew Norwell. Yeah, like that's a guy. Well, he's, they throw a big he's a free agent. He is a free agent, and they should absolutely pursue him. I would much rather have a nice, shiny Andrew Norwell at left guard than like a Sheld- I guess a Sheldon for similar pricing. Right? That's a great question. I, I 100% agree. Like without a hes- without hesitation, I would absolutely pay Andrew Norwell whatever Sheldon Richardson would ask for, and and let Sheldon Richardson go if that was a choice I had to make. I think yeah. they get similar salaries. I re- I really do. Like I I think they'll both land in like the twelve, thirteen, fourteen kind of range, like the low teens. There's always been a fear, I among the Seahawks Twitter that free agents were scared to come here because of cable. And how, how he asked players to play. Ooh. It's going to be interesting to see if that changes. Ooh. Because the way players would get injured in Seattle, all of a sudden they'd leave and they'd be perfectly healthy. Max Unger always so, made you always yeah. made you wonder. So if Norwell is a guy that's attainable, you have Dwayne Brown at left tackle, Norwell left guard, Britt, Posick, who knows about a Fetty or Fan. That's not bad. Yeah. They're, um, how, how should I say this? There's some credibility to that theory, Jeff. And I've, I've spoken firsthand to former Seahawks offensive line players who have echoed that. 
that they are worried that Seattle under Tom Cable would ruin their careers. Is it? it I'm not joking. Is it their style of play? That's so funny. Or what, what is it about Cable <laughs> that does that? I'm sorry, what, Jeff? What is it about Cable's system that people worry? Is it the style of play or is it how – the amount of times they have to cut? Uh, what is it? I don't know. I really don't. Maybe I think it's the scheme, maybe what Cable demands of them. Um, is that a play where, like, all five offensive linemen jump to the ground? <laughs> <laughs> Nathan, I, I want to hear your thoughts about Sheldon versus uh, Norwell, if that was a – hypothetically a decision you had to make either or uh what i know about andrew norwell is he's got a sweet beard um and he looks like what i want an offensive lineman to look he's uh, an all pro. i don't know if he looks is he yes yeah. all pro this year first team there are a lot of those most years so that's that's good uh sure yeah uh get an all pro guard i'm cool with that i i uh i don't know i mean a lot of it depends on what solari wants right if solari comes in he's like you know tom cable's a joke these guys are good players we can work with this i don't think you need to go sign an offensive guard necessarily although it wouldn't be a bad idea um if solari comes in and says no we have to trash everything but dwayne brown maybe the same thing maybe you'd say well i'm not going to dump a ton of money into a guard at that point so i don't know i don't i don't feel strongly about it um i'm i'm for getting good players though so he seems good that's cool (laughs) You're such a politician. That's my lukewarm take. I, I know that Evan wants to spend whatever money we've got on Gary Gilliam because uh, he's available. Uh, you know what? Bring back Gary Gilliam. I'm on that train too. Oh, God, help us, guys. No, I mean, <laughs> the names that are out there on the offensive line are <laughs> – no, he's not. He is not better than a Fetty. Yes, he's... he is. Oh, God. I know he's not. Gary Gilliam? Are you Oh my God! Right. Right. I don't know who's right there, but that's the saddest debate. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Right. I stay very right. quiet. No, no, this is like Applebee's <laughs> versus Daniel's Broil. No, not that significant. Yes. But come on, no, Gary Gilliam is not Daniel's <laughs> Gary Gilliam is is a below replacement level player. He will be a backup the rest of his career. And Gary Gilliam and, and uh, Jermaine Effetti's worse. Oh gosh, I don't know, man. Um, the only other players that are available free agency that are interesting, like Nate Solder, is he going to be someone that like? Are we going to really go out and spend on him? I don't think so. Um, that's really it. I mean, it's pretty slim pickings on the. It'd be interesting to see if Solari's got any connections to the guys that are available, but you know. At one point, people were excited about him, but he's been nothing lately. One name that's kind of interesting um, is Patrick Omama, who is a guard in Jacksonville and and actually was a big part of their run game, and um, he would probably be pretty affordable. Uh, but it gets pretty bench. Well, he's a center. Never mind. Bradley Sowell's available. I know that gets that gets Jeff excited. Oh God, he's the worst <laughs> player in the league. <laughs> uh, I think it's possible. Yeah, that's it. I mean, it's really, it's really thin offensive line. I mean, Xavier Suafilo from Houston is a decent guard, um, maybe. But uh, I think okay, if there's so one player that the Adam free agency that would get 
me the most excited, it would be Andrew Norwell. I would absolutely agree with that. Lyman, bring him here. So I don't, do you guys have any final thoughts on the coaching staff? No, I mean, I'm, I'm excited to see if they do what they do at quarterback coach. But other than that, it seems pretty, pretty set. Yeah, the rest of the staff, is there any other openings that are left unfilled other than quarterback coach? Seems like they're going to – any idea if the running back coach or the wide receiver coach, are those guys in play? Or they know they're still on the team, so. Well, consider that Nate Carroll is, is uh, Pete's son and is a wide receiver's assistant coach. Pretty well thought of. I would be surprised if, if they replace those guys, but – you know, not out of the question. It'd be funny if uh, Schottenheimer comes in, comes in and fires Pete's son as, as his first uh... <laughs> stuff. Um, I mean, I, I think hail to the new kings, baby. I mean, we've, we're, we're about uh, – we didn't talk about going to London, but, but uh, I think it's, it's apropos for the new guard, the changing of the guard. Yep. Did you notice how uh, Cam in that chat he had with fans mentioned that he's going to London next year? Cam said a lot yeah. of things. <laughs> Cam yeah. said a lot of his stuff. Fa- that was his, favorite can- to me. his favorite candy is apparently his wife, which is interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to sit here and make fun of Cam Chancellor. I'm terrified. <laughs> awesome, right, so I, think, I think that's it for tonight. I think we're already ready to wrap up. We've and we've hit on all the, the, the three big coaching changes. Tom Cable's gone. Still feels weird to say it. And we're going to be back throughout the offseason. It's going to get interesting now. The Senior Bowl is next week. There's going to be a lot of players that Seahawks fans should take a look at. Range season is not until March, but we're going to be digging into that in February around the combine time. And keep a hold on the podcast. We're going to keep going as Seahawks news continues to leak out. I hope there's some availability with the coaches and the the new guys so we can hear some from them and there's been a lot of great radio interviews around seattle this week i know there's going to be some more tomorrow i think kellen clemens is supposed to talk about brian schoenheimer he's been around him for a long time so keep listening and for our podcast we'll be we'll be back all off season so there's so many seahawks things to hit on and it's going to be a fun off season keep subscribing to the show it keeps me getting bigger every week and we're going to have more guests on throughout the off season and throughout the next couple episodes so we have a lot of fun stuff planned but I think that's it for me. I'm ready to sign off tonight. And unless you guys have anything to jump in on, that was another good show for us. So that's thanks good. everyone for listening. Right. Yeah, everyone who's joined on the show all night, it's been very consistent. It's a great show. So that's it for tonight. Go Hawks and see you guys next week. Go Hawks. Go Hawks.